0: Turn to the people uh, to your left and the right, in front of you and behind you, and this morning let's say uh, something really cheery. Let's say, the end is coming. Go ahead. Just go ahead. I think I feel the faith surge. I think I feel the optimism peak after that. Uh, if I say to you, the end is coming, uh, is that good news or that bad news? Terrific. Terrific. We kind of like it. Is that because you're really looking forward to eternal life or because you're just ready to get out of this one? Yeah, if things are going really well for you, maybe you're like, well, you know, the end can wait. Uh, If things are a bit rough, you're like, well, I'm ready, I'm ready for a change. The end is coming. Okay, so here's, here's the warm-up question then. Get the brain juices flowing for you this morning. The warm-up question is, how are you preparing for the end? How are you preparing for the end? And I'll let you think about that for eight seconds to be brilliant. How are you preparing for the end? How are you preparing for the end? Oh, we got quiet. All right, somebody tell me. How are you preparing for the end? Yeah, Brian. Strengthening my foundation in Christ. Strengthening your foundation in Christ. I don't know exactly what that means, but it sounds really cool. Getting closer to Christ, getting closer to working on that relationship and communication and all those good things. Great. That's a good answer. That's a very Christian answer. I feel like Blue Water has already acquitted itself this morning. It's good. It's mature discipleship right there. I like it. What else? How, how, how are you preparing for the end? You're not, as I heard? That's another way Blue Water acquits itself honesty. <laughs> like, I, 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 I'm not, you know, I'm not. I'm, when it comes, it comes. Yeah, good, good answer. Vern? Um, trying to help my kids develop the actual relationship with God and Jesus, as opposed to just the knowledge. Brilliant answer. If the end is coming, then what Vern is doing is preparing her kids uh, to meet the end. Uh, and as maybe you could hear her so that her kids have a real and vital relationship with Jesus instead of, like, mom just telling them stuff about Jesus. And uh, I happen to know her kids are pretty great kids, doing well. All right, one more answer. you got, like, the best answer. What are you doing to prepare for the end? Get others ready. You're getting others ready for the end. There you go. I like that answer quite a bit. You're getting others ready for the end, because if the end cometh, uh, we want as many people to be ready as, uh, as possible. We don't want anybody to be left out of the good transition and uh, left in uh, the bad transition. I had a secondary question. We won't talk about it too much, but I asked myself, uh, what will I be doing at the end? Which is something that, of course, you can't predict. Uh, I remember distinctly having a conversation about this with a couple of my high school buddies back when I was, I don't know, 16, 17 years old. Uh, And we had the conversation because two of our buddies... Uh, were uh, known to drive like maniacs and they had just outrun a cop successfully (laughs) and said, you know, at the end of your life, you're going to have this look on your face like, oh crap, the brakes are out, you know, and so we talked about what expression would we have on our face when we died, uh, when the end came, when we saw it, would we be smiling, would we be grimacing, would we be panicking? Um, I have this answer. This is just food for thought. It's it's apropos to nothing, but the last thing I think I will do as the end comes is, I think I will be choosing. Is that a provocative response? I think I'll be choosing. Something for you to think about. That's just a freebie to make sure sure that you're confused as we go forward to talk about... um, Calling. We're in this sermon series on calling, on God calling out to, to us and us calling out uh, to, to others, uh, preparing for the end or navigating a, a storm, as the case may be. I had occasion this week to think about uh, the foray I had into business uh, after I left uh, uh, academia. I used to be... Uh, sort of an academic policy analyst once upon a time, and I left that and uh, got a job for a while in software. I was a software executive. I didn't plan to be. It was just sort of a stopgap solution because I needed a job. And before I had gone to grad school, I worked for a software company for a little while. I wasn't a really techie guy. It Didn't suit me very well, but I was living in Silicon Valley. And if you want a job in Silicon Valley, you write computer code. That's kind of how it was. Um, So I did a little bit went to grad school because I didn't like working in the tech industry. I was in grad school for a while, kind of exited that career unceremoniously, and then I uh, needed something to do. I took a job at this software startup uh, that a friend of mine was starting. It was a little company, Um, and uh, I got involved kind of ignorantly, not really knowing the situation of the company, but they were almost broke at the time. I didn't really know it. And uh, so I started writing code for them, uh, but soon kind of moved into business development. It's like somebody's got to figure out how to sell contracts for this company. Uh, And so I figured out how to pitch contracts and sort of creatively present our project and stuff like that. And it figured out that I uh, I was better at that than I was at the really techie stuff. And pretty soon I was vice president of business development for this software company, again, in a field I did not like. Um, and that was about the time of 9-11. And so the industry got shattered there for a while. And, and instead of like selling product, I was spending my time trying to figure out how to get the company to survive. You know? I felt like I was trying to keep the boat afloat during a storm. Uh, and then the president of the company, the guy who started it, started the company, um, he uh, kind of... I don't know, just shorthand way to, to, to say it. He sort of embezzled all the money out of the company, emptied our bank accounts, and left the country for about three months. And uh, so, everything became very difficult for me. And uh, here's a job I didn't want, in a role I didn't plan, uh, trying to save a company in a situation that should have been impossible. And um, and I pulled all-nighter after all-nighter sitting in this corporate office trying to figure out ways to pitch the product to this company or change the product, for such and such. I don't know. It, the details do not matter. I would have quit immediately, except I didn't have another job to go to at the time. didn't have time for a job search. And there were a lot of people I loved in the company. It was a pretty small company, and I kind of felt responsible you know, for, for them paying rent since I had suddenly found myself the ranking executive. Um, anyway, uh, I pulled it off. The, the point of the story is is not, uh, is not what happened. It turned out OK. Um, the president eventually came back. Uh, the board of directors believed him. They fired me. Uh, he fired me for calling him out. Um, But even that was okay because the company survived, and it was eventually passed to uh, some other friends uh, from the company who who built it and made it uh, really successful. And it provided for people for a long time. Here's the point. Um, If you've ever gone through a a time of life like that, where you're just trying to figure out how to keep things afloat for you and for others, the point is, what I remember most about those all-nighters sitting in the office sketching on whiteboards, was trying to figure it out. Just trying to figure out, how the heck do I construct this thing such that we survive the apparent end? All these cataclysms, you know. Um, when 9-11 happened, among the other tragedies, we lost our contracts in Manhattan. And, uh, when the president took the money, like we lost our payroll funds, trying to figure out what to do uh, when the end cometh. Have you ever been in a situation like that? You're like, ugh, you know, how do I, how do I keep this boat afloat? One of the reasons I thought about this story is because today we're going to talk about Noah. See what I'm doing there? That's pretty good, right? It's a pretty good transition. Last week in our first week in the series on the call of the Lord that he puts out to us uh, is that the first thing we, not, we need to understand about God's call to life and purpose is that it is a call to decision. You remember that? It's a call to decision. Uh, and we all need to understand that in no uncertain terms. When you hear the call of the Lord, you'll have to decide something, you'll have to, and you have to get really good. At deciding if you're going to follow the call of the Lord in this life uh, unto purpose uh, and, and meaning unto salvation through the end. Uh, I, I enjoyed last week. I said, "Hey, if anybody wants to be baptized, I'll go baptize somebody right now." And uh, did one baptism after second service. That was fun. Uh, I like I like the decisions. Uh, they're cool. Uh, the first thing we need to understand about God's call to life and purpose is that it is a call to decision. And this week, uh, we're going to talk about how answering God's call should always lead to building something important, building something that's going to ha- help survive the end, so to speak. God's call should always lead to building something important. And today, we're going to take a look at the story of, of Noah, which is the, the Bible's first uh, First story about blueprint for purpose. You know, it's a story about God calling a guy and telling him how to build something important that was going to be a vessel of salvation, and we call that thing a ark. Good, good, Noah ark. You remember the story? The great thing about the story of Noah's ark is that. Truly universal. It may be the most universal story in all of humanity. Uh, by some counts, there are 800 different cultures around the world that have the story of Noah's Ark. They don't call him Noah in many of the stories. The name changes, the vessel changes a little bit, but like every culture in the world pretty much has a story about an epic catastrophe, an epic flood, and a guy who was sort of led by God to build something that helped civilization survive right which is a one of those uh, true indicators that this actually happened so every every people group around the world is trying hard to remember it because it was so consequential it was so incredibly important last week uh uh, if you recall the scripture from last week we read a uh a blurb from acts chapter two uh it was a blurb from a sermon given by peter it's actually the very first recorded sermon in church history peter stands up in the streets of jerusalem and and tells people about the story of, of christ uh, and how he was killed by folks, Even though he was about the easiest decision point you could possibly imagine god giving because everybody loves jesus uh, and the people in the street say well what should we do about it you know oh man, we messed up, what should we do about it? And it says that Peter pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation, which is a statement that you could read right the story of Noah, because the story is that humanity had become incredibly corrupt, incredibly given to evil and violence, and God decided to kind of reboot, kind of wipe out that generation, and then led Noah to build this vessel of salvation. Save yourself from this corrupt generation, was the order. Um, so let's read, uh, not the whole story of Noah, because it spans uh, Genesis 6, 7, 8, 9. Let's just read a, a, a short passage from Genesis chapter 6, because my guess is that you guys know a little bit about the story of Noah and the ark. So just for fun, shout out things that you know about Noah and the ark. Go. Rain happens. Uh, they said, Good. Animals happened. Good, good. How many animals? Like two by two. We don't really know how many, but we all know that because there was a song and stuff. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. My, non-kosher a, a non-kosher son's name. A non-kosher son's <laughs> name. Yes, I'm sure we were all thinking that. Thank you for saying it. Mike. <laughs> Gathering, family. Gathering family into the ark. Yeah. All right. Promise. Yeah. Promise. promise. Yeah, promise uh, encoded in a, yes, yes, if you live in Manoah, you think about it every day. All right, so uh, I'm just going to read uh, suggestively uh, verses 9 through 22, and you guys probably know uh, the rest of it, uh, picking it up at verse 9 in Genesis chapter uh, 6. This is the account of Noah. Uh, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Which one is non-kosher, Mike? (laughs) Ham. Dad joke. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Some translations say gopher wood, which is cool. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you're going to build the ark. The ark is going to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish it the ark. and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top, uh, put a door in the side of the ark, and make lower, middle, and upper decks. It's quite specific, right? I mean, you get uh, quite a blueprint, actually. And for as ancient as the story is, the specificity of it is unprecedented. Uh, This is not how people used to uh, tell stories. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. This is not sounding good. But I will establish my covenant with you. And and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You're going to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, of every kind that moves along the ground, will come to you to be kept alive and presumably to reproduce, since they got males and females. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. And Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Um, so much history in the in early chapters of Genesis and uh, Um, I'm a I'm an ancient history buff I love all of like the ancient architectural digs that they're finding now they're unearthing a lot of architectural digs around this area of the world now and uh, they've discovered recently through all sorts of different evidences that there was definitely a global flood Uh, I think we can kind of suggestively date when when this story happened. There was a massive global flood at 11,600 years ago and probably another one before that, around 12,800. And, and, uh, and there are stories around the world that try to date this. You know, it really actually happened. Uh, the cataclysm was epic. And somehow God warned a guy. And there was a small group of people that, that were prepared. I just find it really fascinating. And a lot of the stories, even the ones that are extra biblical, uh, Share the same, uh, the same motivations. They say, "Well, humanity had become really, really wicked. We should have seen it coming." <laughs> you know um, Humanity is trying to remember something here. There's um, so many things that you could do with the story, so many different points that you could talk about then. Um, but here's a question uh, for us this morning what if Noah had not pulled it off? Mm-hmm. That's all. I just, I just want to think about that. What if he hadn't pulled it off? We wouldn't, we wouldn't be here. Yeah. Fair. Fair enough. It was really consequential, right? Which is why every culture on earth is trying to remember it. <laughs> it's like, whew, we barely made it. You know, it's one of those things. Super, super consequential, uh, what Noah did. Which really makes you focus on what he did and, and what it, it must have been like for Noah. I mean, it, it was a very consequential story for him and his family. If he hadn't done it, then he would not have survived, uh, and his family would not have survived. And he probably had occasion to think eventually, and, and you know, human civilization would not have uh, survived um, And I would just like to recommend to you, as you think about the call of God in your life, the call that God is putting out to you uh, this morning, that after you make a decision to follow Jesus, because Jesus is the decision point, that's what we talked about last week, then you will probably want to build some sort of vessel of salvation. If Noah's story is an important pattern for us, then say yes to Jesus and then set about building your vessel of salvation, your vessel of purpose, your vessel of calling, whatever that might be. um, So that you survive till the end. Uh, We will talk about this in subsequent sermons, but one of the things that all the biblical writers make clear is that uh, when Jesus calls somebody he always calls that person to a purpose, right? He doesn't just show up and say, the end is coming. You know, he says, the end is coming. Get busy. Um, Follow me, he says to Peter and James and John at the shores of the Lake of Galilee. And I will make you fishers of men, right? There's always that second bit. There's always a job description, that comes with it right now sometimes the job description is in a really interesting form Noah it's God you're mine great build an ark what's an ark well let me tell you about that you gotta build this giant box and it's going to be this long and this wide and this high, but it's going to be a little break on the top. There's going to be windows. You're going to have to coat it with pitch because it needs to be waterproof. Imagine building that in the plains of western Turkey on the plateau. You know, not not a bit of water in sight apart from the river. It took him over a century to build this ark. You know, because it's just him and his family, boat builders. Righteous people. Uh, one of my hobbies. Um, there was... The bulk of this story was just him working hard to put something together, to figure it out. Right? There's a storm coming. i got to build this thing. I have to make it float. I have to make it work. You know, it should be life-giving. It, could, it should provide for my loved ones, you know. And the nice thing about the story of the Ark is that it's so literal. You know, you could just imagine him sawing wood and pounding in pegs and joints and things like that. And thinking, I, I hope I'm doing this right. I hope I'm doing this right. You know, or maybe, you know, like me, it's trying to figure out how to make a business float and back in the day. Man, I don't even I don't even like software. I'm not even sure how this stuff works, uh, but I got to put it together. I got to figure it out. Um, people's livelihoods are depending on it. Well, what we are doing in the kingdom of God isn't just about livelihood; it's about life. Yes? yes, it's about. And one of the things we should all be wrestling with, those who have been called by the Lord, is well, what am I building? What kind of vessel am I building? What sort of network am I building? What sort of group am I building? What sort of household am I building? What sort of friendship circle am I building? Such that it could save people. It's part of the call. It's part of the call. And maybe like me, like Noah, you just got to figure it out, man. You just got to figure it out. I'm not even sure what an ark is supposed to look like. I have no idea but you figure it out, don't you? Um, So I would recommend that to you. I just recommend you thinking about that concept. What's your vessel of salvation and how are you going about building it? You better get to it. Um, What does it take to build a vessel of salvation? Again, we could talk about that. We'll be talking later about God's specific call for your life and how you figure that out. Um, Because God is going to provide you some direction. Maybe it will be in blueprint form. Maybe it will be just... uh, an invitation to next step. Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Uh, Now you know where you're headed. We'll figure out how to get there as we go. Uh, There's a lot of that in in, in scripture. But here's what I get from this story, and we'll just sort of end with this final concept. Um, A big part to building a vessel of salvation in your life for you and those you wish to gather is that you should have a sense of urgency about it even during a non-urgent time. And that is sort of one of those quintessential Christian concepts. You know, the days are urgent, even though it's not raining yet. (laughs) Even though it looks like it's not. When Noah started building the ark, no flood. Again, the story says it took him over a century to complete. And he didn't even start it until he was like, you know, Near 500 years old. So, quite a retirement project. Um, Jesus comments on this. He actually talks about the urgency of life quite a bit, but um, he comments on it um, hearkening to uh, the story of, uh, of Noah. In Matthew 24, Jesus is uh, spending quite a bit of time talking about. Uh, what we refer to as the end times are the, just the end. The end is coming. It's a chapter in which Jesus talks about the end. And as it turns out, he talks about different kinds of ends. He talks about the end of Jerusalem. Um, he predicts that. And then he talks about um, it was devastated by an invasion uh, after Jesus died. And then he talks about kind of the end of the world uh, as we would conceive of it. And in verse, uh, verse 37, um, He's coaching his disciples about how to think about the end and a little bit about what they should be doing to gather people in. And this is the advice, the observation that he makes. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. When Jesus returns to the earth and you know, the curtain falls and, and that's it. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. The Son of Man was a, a term for, for Jesus himself. eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, what does that mean? Well, that's Jesus' way of saying it It was business as usual right up until Noah got on the ark. You couldn't look out on the world and know that the end was approaching. And that's something that all of the Noah-ish disaster stories and all the cultures of the world have in common. They said that catastrophe came out of nowhere. For them, it was a great ecological, geological, physical catastrophe. And who knows? One of them may come any time. Um, the thinking was that uh, the uh, some of the great floods that ended the last ice age were caused by asteroid strikes. You know, and every once in a while, you see these stories in the newspaper, right? Well, scientists have identified, you know, four asteroids mile in diameter that could strike the earth. You never know. Uh, But it's been a while since we've had an asteroid strike like that. But disaster from the heavens, you know, the concept is out there in in our psyche. Um, And and we won't get any warning. While Jesus is saying, hey, when I come back, like when the judgment is upon us, it's not like anybody will have any warning. So the only question is, have you built your ark or not? because it's too late then. There will be some people who have a vessel of salvation and some people who don't. There will be some people who have been gathered in and some people who haven't. And time is not infinite in that regard. And so for those of us who are tasked with gathering people into safety, we have to be urgent now. And there's every temptation in life not to be. That's the thing, right? There's every temptation in life not to be, because we don't actually think an asteroid will fall from the heavens today, unless you're really pessimistic. You know, which depends on the day. Um, but there needs to be an urgency about your life, um, and I don't. I just felt like preaching that um, this morning. There needs to be a bit of urgency about your life. There should be joy in your life. There should be freedom in your life. There should definitely be peace in your life. But there should be urgency in your life uh, because at most, you know, you've probably got like 100 years on this earth. You know, few of us uh, get longer. Most of us don't get that far. So that's at most. That in itself is probably enough to make you feel a little bit urgent. If you think about it really hard, uh, most of us don't enjoy it uh, because it's not super fun. Um, but we should all have a sense of urgency so the call of the Lord is just a little bit urgent. Uh, But that leads to the question, have you given thought to what it might mean for you to build a vessel of salvation in your life? What's that going to look like for you? Have you done it? What does that make you think of? Have you built a vessel of salvation in your life? Um, Have you followed the path of Noah? Have you built a vessel of salvation for you? Do you have Some capacity in your life that allows you to gather other people into safety? Are you providing for other people through your life in some fashion? Great question. A question that we'll try to help you answer a little bit as the weeks uh, proceed up to the all church retreat. One vessel that we have uh, for safety, one ark like vessel that we all share, is the church. You know? Uh, the local church like you're in right now, in the Capital C Church, uh, the church uh, that has been a result of Jesus' life and is now 2,000 years old. Um, and one of the things that, uh, that probably you know we all try to do because we are here is that we enter into uh, this institution. Institution sometimes feels like a ne- negative word, but I kind of like it. Um, you know, we have instituted this. We have built this place with great intention. Absolute intention. On purpose. Because we think it's important. Uh, And we think that if people are not part of a gathering community of faith, a worshiping body, then they tend to get taken by the flood. It's really hard to survive out there on your own, right? You need a vessel. You need a vessel. Uh, And for 2,000 years, the church has been the best vessel going. It's really popular to rag on the church. Um, don't do it around me. Um, I, well, I mean, you can, but I'll argue back at you. Uh, because I just really, really value it. It gets a bad rap in history, but it has saved countless millions of lives. Physical lives, because the church does and always has done a tremendous amount of human justice work but also, of course, eternal lives, you know, spiritual lives. And the church is the leading vessel. Uh, So if you want to build something important, build a church, for Pete's sake. Build a church, you know. And that starts with you coming to church and and then inviting people to church and perhaps serving uh, your church, if it's blue-eyed, if it's some other church and you're visiting uh, today, well, then get on it uh, elsewhere. And within churches, we have uh, little... You know, many churches. This church we call them Ohana groups or small groups. But you know, all over the world there are these little cell groups. They're the basic building blocks of churches everywhere. The kingdom of God everywhere. In some countries, those churches, those mini churches, have to be underground, yeah, uh, because the governments won't let them gather in public and stuff like that. But there's always a gathering, right? There's always a gathering in, as it was in Noah's day. So it is in our day. You know, part of it means gathering in. So that's one thing that you can do. But maybe there's some other personal mechanism of gathering and saving in your life. Some way in which you're gathering people around you. And we'll just call that food for thought today. Um, and it's something that you could think about building uh, again, in and, and the next few weeks, we'll talk about it right up to the all-church retreat. But I think it's a great season for gathering. Uh, I think it is. I think that um, one of the things the pandemic has given the world is the sense that, well, maybe life isn't quite as predictable as we thought. I like that. I like that a lot. I think there are a lot of things the pandemic gave the world that I do not like at all. You know, it's this spirit of fear and this chaos and this weird controlling spirit that got people all judgmental of one another. I don't like that at all. I think all the grace got sucked out of the air. But there's a little bit, just a little bit of humility injected into the atmosphere as well. It's like, ooh, maybe things are a bit more fragile. Yeah, yeah. You know, the end could come at any time for any of us. So, make a decision. And then, get on board. And then help the next person on board. Build a vessel of salvation with your life. Does that sound like a good way to spend your life? I think it's the way uh, that we are all called to spend our life. Holy Spirit, we just give you space to speak uh, in this house, uh, to speak to those who are gathered. The story of Noah, the story of a guy who built the vessel of salvation, began with a supernatural conversation between the living God. And a person. Speak, Lord. These persons are listening.